This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. It's episode number 123 of Play by Playcast. Thanks as always for the subscribe, stream, download. Welcome into the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster. Professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. Longtime voice of the Missouri Tigers, Mike Kelly, was our guest last week. If you have not heard that episode, it, along with all of our previous episodes, are in the archives. You can just scroll right back through all the way down to episode number one with CBS Sports Network's Carter Blackburn. But Chris Vosters uh, was episode 121, who I have met once in person a couple of years ago, and I will meet again on Saturday, tomorrow, if you're listening to this on time. Uh, He's doing the Ball State football game against Central Michigan on ESPN 3 or plus, ESPN 3 plus. Um, so we'll bump into each other on Saturday. Uh, Rich Hollenberg from ESPN was 120. Uh, Roy Philpot also from ESPN was 119. And Ted Robinson uh, was number 118 from the uh, San Francisco 49ers. If you're in a baseball mood, his team is still playing. Dave O'Brien was episode 117, the voice of the Boston Red Sox. As always, you can find the podcast on Twitter at PXPCast. You can contact me on Twitter as well, at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T, or hit me up with an email, J-G-O-D-E-T-T, at B-S-U dot E-D-U. Our guest today, on episode 123, is the veteran voice and the very well-respected voice of the Oklahoma State Cowboys, also the professor of SPM 4053, sports announcing, at Oklahoma State University. All depends on the capacity in which you know him. Uh, Dave Hunziker is our guest here today. Uh, He's been the voice at Oklahoma State since 2001, and he will detail the process under which he became the voice of the Pokes. Toward the back half of this podcast, we'll dive into it. Because it's one of those situations where, and they've happened, not necessarily the way that um, it happened at Oklahoma State, but there are always situations where, Somebody passes away and it's a, you know, someone has to fill that job, but nobody wants to be the person to reach out and say, I think I could fill that job. Um, So Dave kind of walks us through how that situation played out for him and the reservations he had um, going into it because of that as well. So we'll touch on that on the back half of the conversation, but we'll also talk about uh, his preparation, and we'll talk about Bedlam and calling uh, a rivalry of that intensity, his style as a play-by-play broadcaster, uh, what working with Mike Gundy is like if he if he's a man and he's 40. We'll get into all of that stuff um, and much, much more. Where we start, though, today with Dave Hunziker is at the very beginning. Why he does what he does and when he knew he wanted to do what he does. Dave Hunziker is our guest on episode 123 of Play by Play Cast. Take a listen. 
probably when I was 12, I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted to do. Uh, my dad was sick. Well, I became sick suddenly and then passed away when I was 12. And about the only thing that seemed normal when he was sick was watching and listening to games. That was something we always did. We listened to the Cardinals pretty much every night on the radio. He had to go to bed early to get up early to go to work. And I and there were a couple things. Number one, I wasn't good enough at anything to do anything long term athletically. And number two was I just thought, you know, I as I got older, especially, I thought it'd be nice to kind of offer the same thing to people that was offered to me hmm. when Dad was sick and you needed an escape. And so, yeah, I, I knew pretty young, and oh, you know, I love being around sports. But I'll be honest, I, I love just going into people's homes and their cars and their lives and just, you know, taking them away from whatever bad stuff they've got going on. But, you know, that's why people go to games. I mean, they want to see all these great players and coaches do their thing. But at the end of the day, why do they want to do that? They want to be something, a part of something that's bigger than them and something that's good because so many times in life, people don't really have much to hang their hat on. So just to be able to share in that, to, to bring that to people who, who can't watch or be at the games, that I, it's, it's very fulfilling. Uh, and yes, of course, I love watching these elite athletes play and perform, but, but to be able to share that with people is the biggest part of it. I'm glad you said that, actually, because there, there are many a time that I think about kind of what we do. And, and whenever I tell people what I do and they go, that's a really cool job. And I go, well, it's kind of a fake job. Like I just talk about sports. It like it's, I'm not, you know, like I'm not a nurse or something, but then, you know, I, I, and I talked about it on the podcast several weeks ago where I had, uh, I was broadcasting the CrossFit games and there was a woman whose mother was watching from England and she was sick. And I gave the mom a shout out and basically said that the daughter was competing for her. And that was kind of the backstory of it. And the woman reached out to me afterward and said that meant so much. And you kind of realize that, like, while it's a quote-unquote fake job in a way, because it's, it's fun, it's not a true, you know, we don't feel like we're going to work, you can still have that impact on people like uh, a lot of people that are teachers, educators, doctors, lawyers, those types of things, too. You know, it's funny because if, if you've heard Jack Buck and some of the Hall of Fame speeches that he gave you know, one of the things he talked about, you know, he, I think the line was, turn the radio on. And then he says, in a hospital, in a nursing home, in prison, if you're blind, that pretty well nails it. And, you know, I've had numerous listeners over the years who were blind. And it's the only way they can experience the games. And, you know, one that I go to mass with, that family I've known, and his sight has continued to deteriorate over the years. That's very impactful to, to think that you can bring some joy to their lives and bring them something that otherwise they couldn't enjoy or be a part of. It's very, very meaningful and very rewarding. You know, it is, it, you know, my mother-in-law says, I'm just a big kid. I'll never grow up. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I, I think you do kind of live in a kid's world. And <laughs> especially when you're doing college sports, you stay 25 forever. I mean, that's kind of how you think. I mean, you just stay you stay 25 years old forever and it's uh it, it's lots of fun it's it, it's it's very rewarding and but but i will say it, it is interesting what our athletic director mike holder said to me one time you know he doesn't have any background in communication or broadcasting and so i really didn't think he understood you know what we did why would he know now he understands a lot of things that are a heck of a lot more important than what we do and that's 
how to be financially sound and how to hire good coaches and win championships. He won a bunch of national championships as a golf coach, so he understands things in our business that are really important. But we were at the NCAA tournament one time, we were having a big dinner, and he said, you know, I wouldn't want your job or want to do it. And I'm thinking, oh, boy. Well, number one, you're a lot smarter than I am, so you don't need it. That's the first thought that ran through my mind. He said, no, he said, what you guys do is like taking a final exam every week. And I was amazed by how he understood that. It's like, wow, I never really even thought of that, thought of it that way myself, but there is some truth to that. And, you know, I was pleased that he recognized that. And, you know, not that I'm looking for, you know, necessarily, you know, I don't, I, I, you always appreciate when your boss compliments you, but, uh, yeah, that, that, that's the part of it that I guess it's not that we have a hard job. Don't get me wrong, but it is unique. Hmm. And the way he described it's very accurate. It, it, in football season, that's pretty much right. It's, you know, and I, I always like going to class, so I guess I really don't mind it much. Kind of like taking a final exam every week, but it's the best final you can take. It beats the heck out of the darn math finals, I, do, I promise you that. <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit about that that test for from your perspective. Uh, if, if you're an OK State fan, uh, what do people get when they turn on the radio and and hear you. I, I, I know you've described yourself as an exciting style. You, you've you've said it's not vanilla. Um, that's not what you're going to get if you come to you. Um, where did you kind of hone that that approach, that 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 style, and and why and how does it work for you? I think the whole thing of understanding why people listen dictates why I do it the way I do it. And it's you're going to get the gamut. You're going to get excitement. You know, we live in the Midwest where there's a little more of a homer approach to this probably than there are in other parts of the country. I don't think this style, what I do here, would work in a lot of places. I recognize that. So I'm fortunate they were crazy enough to bring me here. <laughs> and so so I think so. When you, with us, you're going to get the gamut. You're going to get a lot of information. You know, we do, I feel like, are, we're very thoroughly prepared. But at the same time, you're going to get a lot of lighthearted. I mean, you're going to get some joking around. You're going to get some old movie references. You know, we're going to have some fun with it. Not at the expense of the game or the players or the coaches involved, but just when the moment seemed to maybe fit. So I think the biggest thing we try to offer is a whole lot of infotainment and in trying to give people all the information and accurate depiction of the game, but at the same time present it in such a way that it's fun to listen to. We're not, you know, we're not describing World War II here uh, and recognize that it is sports, and we all get caught in that. You know, I, I, we all get caught up sometimes in a team we're calling, not playing well, and then you go back afterwards, it's like, well, boy, I did a crappy job because I let the game dictate, sure, it dictates your, your temperament on the air to some extent, but you can't let it do it too much. I did that a couple of weeks ago. And so you have to remember, hey, people, this is fun for people. My wife put it in perspective. We're big baseball fans, big St. Louis Cardinal fans. And when the Brewers were sweeping the Cardinals a few weeks ago, I was, we were sitting there watching the game together. Our kids now have gone off to college, so we're trying to figure out how to do this empty net thing. <laughs> and I said to her, I said, hon, it's a dead gun. I said, the Brewers bullpen's better than we are. You know, they hit a lot of home runs, and our pitchers don't give up home runs, but that's a bad matchup, and I'm going on and on and on. And she just looks at me and says, will you shut up? I just want to watch the game. Boom. That was it. It's like, okay. Thanks, honey. I really just watched the game. It really hit me. It's like, okay, don't forget that, Dave. 
I don't think she meant to hit me. I think she meant to hit me kind of in the nose. I don't think she meant to punch me in the gut. Uh, but it, it just, it's right. I mean, she was, she nailed it. She's a nurse and has, you mentioned nurse earlier. She's a, a, uh, a nursing management and, you know, in a, in a critical care setting. So she, she lives real life every day, but she said, I just want to watch a game. It's like, okay, let's not forget that. People just want to enjoy the game. So don't get, don't get too crazy with, with, uh, with extra things or with getting too emotionally tied to what's happening. You know, we had Mike Kelly on the podcast um, this most recent week, and, and one of the things he said uh, was in quoting Jack Buck, actually, in terms of his his quote of just call the game. Um, and, yeah. And basically sticking to that that basic mantra will carry you through. Um, what You've mentioned Jack Buck already as well, and growing up in St. Louis, how much of an influence was his style and his – um, his approach, uh, or I guess, how was it an influence on you, uh, and and how much is it still an influence on you? Well, he was the best of the best, in my opinion, and he understood all the nuances of it. I mean, he knew how to draw attention to a to a major moment with a dramatic pause. He knew how to use inflection. He knew how to change pace, and. There was, you know, and he certainly had wearability over the course of a 162-game season and immaculate credibility. I remember something John Smoltz said, and I've shared this with the class I teach here, that when Jack Buck would come to an opposing player and ask him to do the dugout show in St. Louis, I think it was John Smoltz, if I remember right, that said this, he's like, shoot, you were honored. Because for two reasons. Number one, he just didn't talk to anybody. And number two is, you were always glad to do it because the interview was going to be about you and not any agenda that they had. They just wanted to know about you. And that's such that's such a great lesson for all of us is to remember, hey, it's about them, it's not about us. Now, does that mean you can't have fun with it and, and, and try to be entertaining? No, I just think as long as it stays within a context that, that is appropriate, that's okay. Uh, because I'll be honest, I mean, there's a little bit of a Harry Carey influence on me. I'm not going to lie to you. I <laughs> watched him and the Cubs. I mean, some of the some of the more lighthearted things probably gravitate more to him. I'm not sure Jack Buck would probably approve, uh, but hopefully he would approve of how we prepare the way the game is delivered, and then we have a little bit of fun with it. But just he was the I he he was the standard in so many ways. And again, I think what John Smoltz, if I remember correctly, was Smoltz that said it that. Uh, you know, when he interviewed you, you knew it was about you and not about some agenda. That's about the best compliment anybody can get, and it's something we should all strive for. Some days we'll do better than others, I guess. And I guess that then carries over into, you know, the play-by-play itself, as opposed to just the interview of, you know, it's as much as we can have fun with it, too. At the end of the day, it, it comes back to what you're looking at in front of you. Yeah, it does. And, you know, people always ask, I've got this touchdown call, this pistols firing thing. <laughs> that was truly an experiment. I just it's kind of, I literally is like a spitwad. I just, I just threw it on the wall to see if it would stick. But the thing is, and that's become popular, but it, that has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the fact that we started winning football games at a rate we'd never won them before. We have multiple, multiple first round draft picks in the NFL that came through here. It's all about them. I mean, it, it's all about them. The pistols firing is just an exclamation point on a great sentence. It's just a little piece at the end, and it doesn't even have any relevance because the achievement is what matters. I tell people I could have said on touchdown call, 
there's a three-legged Billy Goat on Main Street, touchdown Oklahoma State. They'd have gone crazy with that. It wouldn't matter what you said. They're just glad the team was doing well. We had great players and coaches. That's all they care about. That's all they care about. It was just just something fun to add to it. And so hopefully that hasn't gotten in the way. I I, I like to think that it hasn't, but again, that's all about them. It has zero to do with me because people will talk about it. It's like, you know what? It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with them. That's just that's just a little little spot at the back of the sentence. And boy, the sentence really good though. And the thing is, if we'd have been losing and I'd have said that, they'd have probably fired my rear end after two years. So we'll just we'll just leave it at that. When did it become a touchdown call though? And like not one of those things that you just said offhand, or you know, a couple of weeks somebody says it. You know, hey, we like that. Like when did you kind of make up the decision in your mind to say, you know, like, you know what, I'm going to stick with that. And, and that's going to kind of become a thing. We had a tremendous producer engineer at that time named Joe Riddle, who during his time was probably, and I, I don't want to offend anybody here, but I think people in college sports that know Joe would agree with this. May have been as good, if not the best producer engineer in college sports. He was phenomenal and so good at understanding content and, gathering that sound, whether it's effect speeds or wiring the backboards with microphones, so much creativity in how to put a show on the air. And he had been at Oklahoma State for a number of years and was so widely respected and understood things. And I really leaned on him. I said, what do you think of that? And, and he had such a pulse on the Oklahoma State community. And, and he was very honest with me. If I was doing something stupid, he'd just say, yeah, hey, that's really stupid. Don't do that. <laughs> and I listened to him. And you know, I, I kind of leaned on him, and he said, you know what? You're on to something. You need to keep doing it. You're on to something. Keep going with it. I said, do you think so? He's like, yes, keep going. Keep going with it. You know, but it's funny, though. It's like anything in, our, in, in, in things like this. When it really took off and stuck is when we beat Oklahoma my first year here. 16-13 is a four-touchdown underdog, and if Oklahoma wins a game, they probably play for the national championship. Oklahoma State went down there with a three and seven record, and really, even Les Miles himself said it was a horrible week of practice, and really with no chance to win, and went down there. And I think Oklahoma had zero yards rushing, and Oklahoma State threw a touchdown pass in the last minute and thirty seconds to win. And from that point forward, Oklahoma State football took off, and it just took everything associated with it along for the ride, including that touchdown call. So it all goes again, tied back to the players and coaches. But I really relied on Joe and his. That was my first year here. I, I think I relied on him to kind of guide me and say, "Do I need to flush this down the toilet or what?" And <laughs> his thought was, "Go, keep going with it. I think you're onto something." And it ties to the school because when Oklahoma State scores a touchdown, Pistol Pete, the mascot, fires off his gun, so it fit. Do you ever not do it just to see what happens? You know when I don't do it, I'll confess my sin right here. Uh, if Oklahoma State's getting their butt kicked, I may not do it. Yeah, that's fair. Because it just sounds, to me then, it sounds cheesy. And probably a lot of people listening out there right now like, so you think that's the only time it sounds cheesy? <laughs> yeah, it sounds cheesy all the time, dude. I mean, they get a grip of reality. I totally understand. No, that's about the only time. There have been a couple times, and sometimes people say something, but if it's in the fourth quarter and Oklahoma State's getting drilled and it's kind of a bad day, you can kind of sense it in the stadium or mm-hmm. sense it with the fans. I may not do it. So, because then it sounds forced to me. It, it again, it's meant to be an exclamation point 
or maybe just the dot on the exclamation point sure. in what is a wonderful sentence. When you're down 41-17 in the fourth, that sentence isn't really that wonderful. No, that it's, just, uh, it's just a sentence, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just there. So, yeah, that's about the only time. Outside of that, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flop that thing out there. Um, you, you bring up Bedlam, and I wanted to ask you about broadcasting that, and it, it's a... And I, and I want to ask it in, in a way that, that I've kind of posed this question to some other folks about big-time rivalries or guys that have done Super Bowls and things like that, where you're, you're in a situation where there's such a heightened sense of emotion that you clearly feel as a broadcaster. Um, and I guess it, it can probably travel to other games as well, but in those situations in particular. Um, I'm curious how you handle that from the standpoint of making sure that first down and a carry for a gain of two yards sounds like first down and a carry for a gain of two yards, uh, and that you can differentiate that between the 52-yard home run call when there's when you're in an environment where it seems like every single play uh, is a 52-yard home run because that's the level of magnitude of where you're standing. Right, and, and is there an increased overall level of energy for a game like that over the three and a half or four hours for me? There absolutely is. Now, it still has to have some scaling. You know, it's, is it a, you know, that there has to be context. There always has to be context. And so while the overall excitement might dial up 20 or 25%, there still has to be a difference between what that first down run for three yards sounds like versus what the 70-yard touchdown sounds like. I think the biggest danger in a rivalry game, and I really work hard on myself to make sure this doesn't happen, and living in Stillwater as I do and going to practice on a daily basis, football and basketball, this, this, this can happen, is don't, <clears throat> don't let the emotions get too strong. Mm. You've got to step back. Because in those rivalry games, the intensity of the fans is so great that it calls on us to be more disciplined and more fundamentally sound than in any other game. Not that you don't want to be like that every week, but in those games, you really want to be sound. And you can't be sound if you're too emotional. So being fundamentally sound in those big games is absolutely critical. And we talk about that as a crew. When we sit down and visit the uh, you know several times during the week and then the day of the game when we have our production meeting. You know, I mentioned that last week at Kansas. There was a whole lot that went on last week. We had a top receiver that left the program. We have multiple injuries. You know, the fans were all bent out of shape after a lopsided loss to Texas Tech, and I just told the guys, the guys, this week, we've got to be buttoned down, factually accurate, non-emotional, call the game, have a little fun, because honestly, if we mess anything up, we're going to get killed. And so, you know what? Let's not give them anything to kill us with. And I think in rivalry games, when emotions are heightened, if you want to keep yourself out of hot water, you make sure. Not that you don't want to be like that every week. You do. But I think your concentration level, all that for a rivalry game, especially in this state, as big as it is, man, you have got to be buttoned down to be totally sound. Because if not, you're inviting trouble. Because they will pick at every little tiny thing that you might do wrong. And they're entitled to that. We're professionals. We're supposed to be on the money. But uh, if you want to avoid that, there's only one way to avoid it. That's be so good and so sound that uh, there's no scabs to pick in. Let me know if this question doesn't make any sense because that's a there's a fair chance here. But uh, do you have like a 
a talking voice as a broadcaster. So you're on the air, um, but you're you're just con- conversing with your analyst or you're setting up a play. Um, and is it different than the way that you speak and inflect once the ball is put in action? Uh, and how do you flip back and forth between those two? Um, and I guess to 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 control um, to not sound like you're 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 overdoing it over the course of three hours. Yeah, I, I think yeah. You, and your question makes a lot of sense. I think that comes back to what you do as an announcer to call attention to significant things as they happen, which goes back to the point of context. With everything, everything we do, context is absolutely critical. That's why you prepare. Is you know when the field goal kicker makes a fifty-six yarder and he's never made one more than forty-five yards before. That's pretty significant context. So it goes back to this. I say to you, again. As you call the action, changing your pitch, changing your pace, slowing down, speeding up, a dramatic pause, all those are types of things. It's theater of the mind, and that's part of the theater. If, you know, when you're just talking with the analyst in a pregame show, there's not a whole lot of theater involved. It's almost like you could type out a script, you know, it's like the old meet the press. For a transcript of meet the press, you can send a buck to whatever that place is, and they'll send one to you. And as a kid, I thought, Lord have mercy, can you get this stupid thing over so we can watch the NFL pregame show? And I sure don't want a transcript of this because I want to watch football. So can you guys just be quiet? But, but if you're doing a pregame show, you can literally probably type out a script without any emotional, without any change of tone or voice or anything. I'm sure there's some theater involved. You could send that to somebody, and you could write up all the the uh, cuts. You know, you could take all the player cuts and write those out, and send them to somebody, and they could read it and have pretty good ideas. Like, okay, I get what you're saying. I, I I learned from that. You add so much to a game when you change pace, when you change diction, when you have a dramatic pause, when you have some excitement when the uh, moment calls for it, when you have some worry in your voice when the moment calls for it. That adds to the theater of the mind. So is there a change in voice? No, but you're changing roles, I think. When when you're in a pregame show, you're really more of, to some extent, you're a performer, but you probably take on more of an anchor role. When you're a play-by-play guy, you're kind of the, you're kind of one of the, one of the people that brings the theater to life, the theater of the game. And so it, it, it calls upon you to go about things in a different way. And, so it, it, it is different for sure. Not so much a different vocal thing, but just a whole different temperament. At least it is for me. From a preparation standpoint, um, if you if I told you you could only have two or three things with you that day in terms of preparation, I don't want to say nuggets because that almost narrows it too much, but like, what are the three things that you need to know going into a broadcast from a prep standpoint that if you don't have... Um, you're uncomfortable. Ooh, boy, that's a good one because I'm a preparation freak. <laughs> so you're really making me. You're making me make good decisions. You're forcing me to to, to make et- to do editing, which is good. <laughs> well, I think you know. Obviously, I mean, just from a basic standpoint, certainly you got to know the. You, you've got to know the. Uh, you got to know the players. I mean, you've you've got to have, and I, and I think just the 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 the, the two or three basic things. You know, outside of knowing, you know, just having name, number, and having some memorization of the players and so forth, I think just having a, a, a two or three bullet point thing of understanding the context of the game and what to expect. 
you know, how do these two teams, if you couldn't have a bunch of player information, you just had the players, and you had to come up with maybe three things, I'd say, hey, why does this game matter? And what's likely to happen? And then hopefully the analyst jumps in and says, well, this is why it's going to happen this way. So that would probably, that would probably be it. You know, statistics are great, and people call me a stat freak, and I get really mad. I don't say that out loud. I won't <laughs> offend anybody. But I'll tell you, I get mad because what I tell people back, and I finally start sticking up for myself, is when do I ever give a statistic without giving it context? Yeah. Because if you just throw numbers out there, nobody understands. But if you can say, okay, I'm trying to think of a good example. Well, like Oklahoma State this year, you know, they have had so far almost half of their third down plays have been third and four or less. But what does that mean? Well, it's just a number. Until I tell them that last year, a team that was picked to win the Big 12 and ranked in the top 10 of the country all year, only had 20% of its third down snaps, four yards or less, because they believed in a governmental bailout program. They'd get the third and 20 and go throw it to James Weissner or Marcel Aitman and act like nothing ever happened. <laughs> but, but that's context. So it's not just a number. And I tell the students out in class, don't throw numbers out, just to throw numbers out. But if a team's averaging 300 yards per game, you know, if they're giving up 333 yards per game of offense, Where's that rank in the conference? Where's that rank nationally? All that stuff is there. You, you you can't just throw numbers out just to throw numbers out. You have to do something so that the audience understands, oh, well, so that's really good, or oh, that's really bad. So if you had to dumb it down, I think, again, it'd be trying to figure out, okay, what are those two or three things that they need to know that offer the most context from a broad perspective? You mentioned memorization at the very beginning of that answer, too, and I want to go back to that uh, because particularly in football season, I will always have a week where, for the love of me, I cannot figure out how to remember 10 guys on the opposing team. Like, I can I can tell you 27's a safety, but I can't remember who he is. Um, and there's just days where it bogs me down. Uh, do you have any secrets to how you... Uh, get yourself to remember uh, everyone you need to know for a Saturday? Well, I'm fortunate. So I <clears throat> I get to cheat and do things that a lot of people don't get to do in that I'm a big believer in watching something I've started doing this year is I go watch the TV copy of at least one game of that our helps. opponent, if not two. And so, and I take notes on what is said because the TV crews get access to teams in ways that we never would get. And then I try to verify those things as the week goes along to make sure that they're accurate. Of course, most of the time they are. So that really helps me. I, I, I'm not smart enough to sit there and say, oh, it's cover six and they're doing cloud. They got a robber or whatever. I mean, that's, that's so out of my league. And we have other people that that's their job. <laughs> but for me, it's not only, not only, frankly, learning the names and numbers, but also what, what makes that easier is, you instantaneously become attached to some of their storylines. You know, like a guy like David Montgomery, who we play this week, Iowa State. He's an Eagle Scout. Well, boy, that's something you remember. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, he's he's an Eagle Scout. Puka Williams, a tailback from Kansas last week, the freshman. He's a wonderful talent. You know, he doesn't have any of the toes. I think it's on his left foot. Well, when you read that about somebody, you remember them. And so... Watching those TV copies for me really helps with an opposing team. And we do get, uh, we're fortunate that the football office prints off 
a big pack of newspaper clips each week for the coaches to read. They make us a set, and I read all those. And again, trying to, again, what helps me, I think, is watching the video. And then as I read these newspaper clips that offer these little nuggets or these great storylines about these, these, these players who sometimes have these wonderful stories, it just ties that name and number even more tightly. So, but the biggest thing is the video. That really helps me a lot. How does working, and you've worked with a bunch of coaches, um, but how does working with Mike Gundy make you a better broadcaster too? Off the charts. I mean, we live such a charm life here <laughs> because he gives us access to everything. We go to practice whenever we want. I mean, he, he we have our own Exos accounts where we can go in and watch opponent video for the broadcast crew. I mean, I don't know any, I, there are very few people that have that. He's very candid with us, whether it's at the radio show and commercial breaks or when I just with him on Thursday morning before we take the pregame show. It's open season. I mean, I can ask him about anything. He'll tell me the truth. Now, I, I like to think he trusts us to use that in the right way. I think that's hopefully one of the reasons why he does that is he knows we'll use it or not use it the right way. <clears throat> but he's he's phenomenal. We have access to the coordinators. Uh, again, he's just very honest with us. He'll tell us the truth. I mean, and, and he just... He's very he, he's very candid, and we're very fortunate that way. And he's easily accessible. You know, he's he's cordial. Very 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 rarely do you do you not have you know do I not have several minutes with him on Thursday morning and the radio show. He's great in commercial breaks where we'll just kind of talk about things. I mean, and just little things he shares that add so much. Uh, you know, they changed the blocking schemes in 2013 after a loss to West Virginia, and he takes a piece of paper and draws it out. And I'm know enough to be dangerous, but I was able to understand what he wrote out. He said, this is going to make a big difference. He said, watch what happens. He said, we were trying to do things we couldn't do. He said, that's, I'm the head, I'm the boss, it's on me. We're going to change this up and it's going to get a lot better. Well, when we started winning games and ended up playing for the Big 12 championship on the final day of the season, as the year went along, we were able to introduce that into the broadcast. Like, okay, you need to understand a little bit about why this is happening. And our analysts especially could just take it and run with it. But we're fortunate. He's he's so easy to deal with and so open and so willing to share information that we live we live a pretty charmed life, I think. How was the coaches show the week uh, of or after the I'm a man, I'm forty? <laughs> <laughs> I remember taping the T V show immediately afterwards. Oh great. <laughs> and, oh, I mean but you know what's funny? I went down and we had it we have a good enough relationship. He and his wife were coming down to the field, we're gonna tape a segment. I just looked at him and I said what in the heck did you do? Because <laughs> I didn't get to hear it. We were doing post game, but our sideline guy heard it. And, uh, you know, he was, he had calmed down by then. I mean, you know, he just wasn't happy with how all that occurred. And there was a quarterback change going on and there was a, there was all kinds of dynamics, but shoot, he was fine. I mean, he doesn't, uh, you know, I think a lot of people think he stays wound up for a long time. No, I don't think so. he, if he's got something he gets a, he gets upset about, it usually just, you know, it, it's kind of like lightning. It hits and it's gone. And that's kind of the way it was that night. TV show taping was fine. I just remember the, I remember just looking at it thinking, what the heck? And and, and, I, and and the thing was, I mean, and that probably tells you how fortunate I am to have that relationship because I, I don't know if there's another coach I've ever worked with where I feel comfortable saying that in my role. It's like, what the heck was that deal? I mean, 
that that's how fortunate we are and how cool he is to work with. Because I'm telling you, any other football coach I've worked with, I'd have never said that. No <laughs> way, because I'd probably got smacked. <laughs> that's wild. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I can't imagine what uh, what it must be like to be on the other end of uh uh, some of those sometimes because it's uh, it's always entertaining and fun to see. Um, I, I want to ask a, a a totally different question as well. And if, if I can go back to the, the I I want to go back to the beginning of your time at Oklahoma State. Um, and from a I, I mean I, I guess you can attack it from a personal standpoint, but also from a professional standpoint too. Uh, because there's always that time where there are unfortunate circumstances under which positions become open in this industry. Um, and I had read where you were uneasy at first about expressing your interest in uh, pursuing the Oklahoma State job. Uh, so I, I was curious to to pick your brain a little bit about uh, kind of what that process was like for you and how you eventually decided to to kind of dip your toe in that water and handled uh, walking into something that obviously is very difficult for a lot of people um, and having to fill shoes, but also at, at some point because of the nature of the job that that it is, you wind up kind of being a, a healer too, because people tune in to, to listen to you talk about what they want to hear um, to, to get away from what's happened to what they care about so much. First and foremost, you couldn't have come to an easier place to be a part of that transition. These people here are about the most caring, loving people you will ever run across in your life. And from day one, they made us feel welcome. They made my wife and my young daughters feel welcome. They supported me. They put up with the mistakes I made. There was a lot of encouragement. It's not like that. If it's like that anywhere else, I'm not aware of it. I'm sure it is. But there aren't many places like that. So this was a place that they were just unbelievably supportive. And I will always be so grateful for that. You know, I had some inkling that there might be some interest in in me and maybe that I would be a decent candidate for the job. And Joe Castiglione, the athletic director at Oklahoma, who I knew when I was a student and worked at the University of Missouri, he was there. And, of course, Joe's been the longtime ultra-successful athletic director at Oklahoma, and he was at OU at that time. And he was helping me with the job and helping me to uh, to get my name as, as far up the list as possible. And, and I think he, he played a huge, huge role in my ability to, to land this job. And I was really getting reservations even after I, I sent stuff in and the process had kind of started. It was early May. I was in Bowling Green, Kentucky, getting ready to have a, a lunch with one of our network clients. And I called Joe up. I said, Joe, I said, I, I don't know if I'm cut out for that. I don't know if I can do that. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, hey, he said, number one is, if I didn't think you could do it, do you think I'd stick my neck out for you? <laughs> he says, I know you can do this, and I know you can do it well, and that's why I'm recommending. He said, number two is, he's like, I, I think this could work out. He said, understand, if you pass on this, you're probably going to be waiting 10 years for another opportunity to come up like this. And the thing is, I may not be able to help you as much then. He said, you've got this this is one that you can do, and you can do it well under challenging circumstances because I know who you are. So you need to do it. And so I thought, well, you know what? If Joe Casiglione thinks it's the right thing to do, then you know what? It is. But I would trust him 
with any decision I made career-wise, anything involving athletics, anything involving life for that matter. I mean, Joe's a person of such incredible morals and values just in how he goes about his daily life. I'd trust him with anything. And uh, that hit me. It's like, okay, well, let's do this then. And uh, somehow it worked out that I ended up here, and I owe him. And uh, Dave Hart Sr., who was the athletic director at Missouri back in the early 80s, both of them had very strong relationships with Terry Don Phillips, the athletic director here. And they played a, a huge role in uh, the decision for me to uh, to be the broadcaster here. So I'm always grateful to those guys. But, yeah, I had a lot of reservations. and uh, I'll never forget that conversation with Joe that uh, – Hey, I'm I'm sticking my neck out here, and if I didn't think you could do it, I wouldn't do that. What's it like coming to a new place too, uh, and and particularly the Power Five level where athletics, especially at Oklahoma State, is such a there's a bloodline there, and, and everybody's into it the way that they're into it, and it matters so much. Um, I feel like sometimes when you they they bring in the outsider, you know what I mean? It's hard to it's hard to become one of them. Um, how do you go about yes. becoming one of them? If that makes sense. You know, I think, you know, because people ask me, it's funny you bring that up. And and I used to just assume that everybody did this, but I don't know that that's true. I think you just have to totally embrace who they are and what they identify with. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to broadcast their games and in some roundabout way, you know, sometimes some people say you, you represent the school. I guess you do in a roundabout way. But if you're going to be part of the external function of the athletic department and of the university for that matter, you've got to embrace who they are totally. And that was easy for me here because Oklahoma State reminded me so much of where I grew up in North Missouri. And there were just so many similarities with an agricultural background as being a one of the best ag schools in the country, not to mention engineering and business and other areas, but it, it's, you know, so much of this university is rooted in agriculture and, uh, and just the common you know, values, the great values that are a part of the people of Oklahoma and just a real comfortable, friendly feeling. And I think the big thing is, you know, because people ask me first time I went to Missouri to school and people asked me, I said, Hey, is it hard when you do the game against Missouri? <laughs> and I said, no, it's not at all. I mean, the thing is, and this is how I explained it. And this is part of it too. You know, I don't, I don't, I didn't know Gary Pinkle. I mean, he seemed like a good guy, but I didn't know him. I didn't know Quinn Snyder. I mean, again, seems like a good enough guy. The thing is, though, you get to know the coaches, you get to know the athletes, you're with them on a regular basis, you get to know the fans, you appreciate who they are, you appreciate who, what their culture is and their identity. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, shoot, this is my family. Yeah. I mean, Missouri, sure. Sure, you know, it's nice to see him do well, but it wasn't even a decision. I mean, this is this is my this is my family now and you know, it's like I tell people, my college roommate Steve Kiley will sell commercial insurance at Safeco in uh, Safeco in Kansas City whether Missouri wins or loses. But if Oklahoma State loses a big basketball game, suddenly the basketball coach, whether it was Sean Sutton or Brad Underwood or Travis Ford or now Mike Boynton, of course, a long time ago, Coach Sutton, but he was so well established. He, it was a whole different thing for them. For those other guys, they lose a big game. It's it's their livelihood. Well, that's my colleague, and in many cases, my friend. Well, that's who I'm associated with. So, no offense to the Mizzou guys, but old Steve's going to sell insurance regardless. Yeah. Those other guys lose too many games; they're going to be out of the job. Different dynamics. So, yeah, I think you just have to embrace them. And I loved being here in 
and love learning about the history and, and just embracing it all. And it's been a wonderful fit, but I think you got to jump in. I don't, I don't think, I think it's really hard if, if your allegiances, even if it's a school you don't play against, if your allegiances are with somebody else and you haven't jumped in full bore and embraced it, I, th- I think you're putting yourself potentially in trouble. Well, Dave, if people want to catch uh, Oklahoma State and want to catch you, uh, I guess on the air, but also on social media, I know you guys have a podcast too. Uh, how do they track you down and how do they, uh, how do they hear you? At Go Folks Voice is a Twitter handle, and then TuneIn Radio, can, you can access the broadcast anywhere in the anywhere in the world for that matter and so yeah you can tune in for all the craziness probably <laughs> learn how not to do it yeah so so i don't know i don't know why we still got them fooled but we still do it. we have an awesome crew that's the big thing we my analyst john holcomb is fantastic and a great friend a great broadcaster we're about the same age so you know when our kids make them decisions we can commensurate with one another and our sideline guy robert allen played football here and is so embraced by the community, and we have a, a fabulous engineer, Britt Lockhart, who took over for Joe Riddle that I mentioned earlier. So we got a heck of a crew that that keeps me kind of on the uh, keeps me out of the ditch. That's Dave Hunziker joining us on episode 123 of the pod. You can find him, as he just said, on Twitter. Go Pokes Voice. Go Pokes Voice on Twitter at Go Pokes Voice. Uh, I meant to say this in the intro, uh, and I want to touch on it now, real quick, before we say goodbye. But uh, the conversation about catchphrases and pistols firing whenever you meet someone who finds out you're a broadcaster like the amount of times in my life that i have been asked hey do a touchdown call what's your home run call you gotta have a home run call you don't have a home run call like i don't have a home run call i just say the ball's gone i don't have a touchdown call it it includes the word touchdown like i will always say touchdown I don't know how I'm going to say it. I don't know what else is going to come out. Uh, but other than the word touchdown, I don't. I, I, I just don't know. I don't have one. I've never said anything that stuck. I've never said anything that worked. And I've never tried to think of one. Um, but the pistols firing for Dave came out at the very beginning of his time at Oklahoma State. And it worked and it stuck. And, and understanding and kind of having him walk through the process of how it became a catchphrase and something that fans identify with and how he uses it um, and all of that I think is really interesting because there's so much pressure in some way I, I shouldn't say it like it's, it's not like it's like a burden of pressure but like people always talk about what, catchphrases gotta have a catchphrase uh, and sometimes they just have to happen organically and I mean, not sometimes they just have to happen organically and in Dave's case, it did. And that's why it works. And I think that's one of the really cool things about uh, pistols firing and other phrases like that across our industry that work in a similar nature. So I'm glad that he broke that down and gave us the insight on that. All right, we are out of time for this week, though. So uh, I am off to Mount Pleasant for Ball State and Central Michigan tomorrow. I will talk to you next week, homecoming week, for the Ball State Football Cardinals. And Andrew Monaco, I believe, will be our guest in his first year as the voice of the Texas A&M Aggies. Bill Roth is coming up on the podcast as well. So if you don't like hearing about Syracuse guys and what it was like to be at W8ER, you're going to want to skip that episode. But it should be good. Uh, so those are the next couple of guests we got coming up here on the pod. Uh, again, find us on Twitter at PXPCast. I'm at Joel Godet, And we are out of time. Talk to you next week. See ya.
That will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.